Sober Sundays with Mike Michow at Four Media here in Rockville Center. Today, special guest on the Sunday morning, we have Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Mike. I also want to give a shout out to All American Burger. Maybe they could send us free burgers if we shout them out. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right, Debbie, welcome. Tell us a little, a little Hi. something. Hi, Mike. Um, You're excited to be here, I, I hear. Am. I am. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for asking me. Um, Are you nervous? Was, no. No, I'm not nervous. You have a long history of drug use, sober, yeah. helping people. Yeah. Would you like me to start telling you my yeah, story? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, well, I started drinking when I was 14 years old. Started drinking and... Did my first line of cocaine when I was 14 years old. Um, I think that how I started with drugs, uh, I came from a household. My father was a bio, my biological father was an alcoholic. So um, there was a lot of hostility in my house. He used to beat my mom um, on a regular basis. And I grew up in fear, you know, at that time, I mean, I knew what fear was, but you know, when you're five, six years old, you know, it's sometimes I didn't know what the feeling was. Was was the drinking and the use a way to escape that? When when I started at fourteen, yeah, my parents got divorced when I was in fifth grade, so I was happy about that. And then we moved, and that's when I think I started with using. And what I know now. Um, I was raised in Franklin Square and spent my weekends in Ozone Park and, and by my grandma's house. And at 14 years old, that's a tough age, you know, to move from, you know, now I'm moving to the North Shore, Laurel Hollow, and I had to get all new friends. And, you know, that fitting in thing was huge for me, you know? So when I hung out with people, you know, they were drinking and doing coke, and that's when I started using. I started to to fit in. They were older than you? Yes, they were. They were all graduated already, and um, yeah, you know, they were partying, and I, sure, let me try that, you know? Not realizing that I would like it, you know? What, was the pain of the home life, the, the moving, the trying to fit in, was that, so painful that the only thing that seemed to work for Debbie was to get out of herself? Yeah, I didn't know who I was. You know, I, I was always trying to find out who I was. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. Like I would walk around, I'd be existing, like not knowing who I was, like I would just exist. You know, I would conform into whatever environment I was in. Um, and I really never knew who Debbie was. Which is total opposite for what I see or how you appear to me today. As somebody that's very comfortable in her own skin. Yeah. Maybe loves the person that she is today. I do. You know, but it took me a long time to get there. How did we get there? A lot of pain. And how did we get there? Well, I, the first time, I always walked around with a hole in my heart. You know, and I thought for me was that hole was, 
I was missing something, you know, and my feelings and my liking myself was so poor, you know, growing up that, you know, I looked for all the wrong reasons to get out of my house and, and this and that, and I didn't feel loved and all of that. So I got married at a young age, 22 years old, and I wanted to have a baby because what better way to, you know, have somebody love you than your child, right? So that unconditional love, you know? So I had a baby and um, again, I wasn't ready to stop drinking or drugging. So I wound up signing him away to my ex-husband when he was three and a half years old. And uh, that's what I thought kept me out there for a long time with using drugs and that void. But going ahead, um, I found that void was filled when I found God in my life. So empty void, empty heart. We try drugs, alcohol, relationships, babies, jobs, all types of things, but nothing's quite, No, you're not getting the match. No, it's, it's no matter, I, I had good jobs in my lifetime. I was a recruiter. I was a headhunter for many years, you know, always trying to be something, something more than who I was always looking for outside validation, you know, if it be from a man or if it be from a job or it was never good enough for me, for me, it was never good enough, you know? And, um, when I found God in my life and the way I found God in my life was through the rooms of AA, AA brought me to God and what my relationship is today. What would you say was the darkest moment, the rock bottom? For Debbie. And did you get sober right after that? No. Um, I was, I stayed out there for, for a long, long time. You know, um, like I always said, I never, I never knew who I was. Always tried to be somebody else, but I didn't know who. I was always admiring things with other people that I wish I had, you know. Um, and I, I didn't do I didn't know how to work on myself. I didn't know how I was gonna feel better. I didn't know any of this. So I would just drink and drug and not feel. I hated to feel. Getting high wasn't making you feel good it was, anymore? It was great. That's why I did drugs. You know, I didn't, I didn't like the way I was feeling without using drugs. Drugs gave me that false hope of everything. It didn't matter to me, you know, what people thought of me when I was, when I was under the influence, you know, I felt like I was all that, you know? Okay. So why did you get sober? I had enough, you know, I'm 56 years old. I'll be 57 in July and I didn't get sober till I was 53. And what I know now working in the field that I chose to do now, I wasn't ready to get sober. I, I point blank was not ready. You know, nobody ever put, you know, made me drink. Nobody ever made me smoke crack. You know, nobody never ever made me do anything. I did it, but I had enough. I, I was in numerous rehabs in my lifetime. Phoenix House, Arms Acres, Plainview Rehab, Glen Cove Hospital, you know, making the rounds. Um, <laughs> So sober houses, uh, Mercy Hall twice. Um, and I, I had enough and I just couldn't do it anymore. 
and I decided that, you know, everybody was saying that AA, you have to do step work, step work is where it's at. And I never did the work, you know, I came into the rehabs, all the rehabs that I went into, and I was there for everybody else but me. Shut my mother up, my family, or if I had nowhere to go, I'd go into treatment. I'd go into a sober house, you know, and but I really wasn't there to get better for Debbie. Did you get more out of treatment the last time you went when Debbie was maybe more willing and ready to get sober? Yeah, I listened, you know, and that's what they tell us to do, right? To listen, you know, make suggestions. I, I had a year, I, from 2018 to 2019 was, I was in Mercy Hall, I had a year. But again, I didn't do my step work, I, you know, I played the part, you know, I pretended I had a sponsor, I went to meetings just because everybody else was going and it was more of a social gathering for me than the meetings were, you know, it wasn't, I, I wasn't taking them seriously. And I left Mercy Hall and at this point I lost my apartment so I had to move back in with my parents and I had issues with my parents. I still had issues with my parents. So I relapsed. <laughs> I was out there for six months drinking and smoking crack, and I called my so-called sponsor that I had, um, and I asked her to take me to NUMC, and I went into NUMC March of 2020. That's when COVID hit, yep. and they kicked us all out. <laughs> and here I'm saying that, oh my God, you know, I'm not gonna be able to go to meetings. What am I gonna do with that? You know, that's how I stay sober. But that's when also Zoom came out, you know, so, I went into Seafield, um, sober house, and I had no choice but to do my steps. <laughs> I was locked in, nothing was open. I had nowhere to go. I was on Zoom. I had a home group in Arizona at 9 p.m. at night. I was in the Cayman Islands at one o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I loved it. I love Zoom. I got sober on Zoom, you know, so I know it can be done if you really wanna get sober, you know? And I started doing the work. And step four is what freed me. And- What did you write on there? Everything. Everything is my resentments, you know? And then I'm looking at my resentments and I'm like, wow, I had all these resentments for so long and, but I caused these resentments you know, for the people to act the way they did. You know, also too, what I did, Mike, um, what I learned is I played the victim for many, 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 many years, you know. Okay, so I didn't get love growing up and, you know, I wasn't told I love you and, you know, wasn't given hugs and, you know. So I those was like the roles that you've played in those resentments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I had to realize that, okay, this is never gonna change. So what am I gonna do? Either I'm gonna play the victim for the rest of my life or start working on Debbie. And again, when I did, I, I don't need anybody's recognition anymore. I'm, I've accepted the fact that, you know, my childhood, it is what it is and I can't blame, you know, my, my drug use or alcohol use or anything like that on that anymore. I, I grew up pretty much, yeah. What's Debbie doing now? What is Debbie doing now? Debbie is doing something that she loves now. I um, I went into the Seafield Sober House, like I said, March of 2020, and I never left. 
I now manage the Seafield Sober House for Women. And I had taken my certification to be a certified recovery peer advocate, which I love. And I am working for Seafield, all their outpatients right now, helping others like us. And I feel like I am in my, my purpose, that this is what I want to do. You know, I say to the girls and the guys that I work with, um, I wish I had somebody out there like me to talk to when I was out there using drinking and drugging. You know, I'm working with the girl now and she's telling me she's still smoking crack. And I'm like, listen, don't stop calling me. Just keep calling me, you know, and hopefully I can help you. You know, I wish, like I said, I had somebody like me to talk to. So can, can you describe a little bit what, what the role that you play, maybe the differences between your role and a counselor? Well, a counselor, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just that a counselor, um, I don't have, you know, you go through schooling and, and education with that, you know, a peer recovery advocate, one of the qualifications that you have to have is you have to be in recovery and an alcoholic and an addict. So that's, Beautiful. So the that's, therapeutic that's, value of one addict helping another yeah. addict, right? Without parallel. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, you know, especially with, you know, I, I could share my story. You know, counselors are limited with that, you know, because of Oasis and all that stuff. But I could share my story. You know, I could get down to the nitty gritty of my story because there's a lot more that obviously we know, you know, what happens when we're out there. So you put yourself out there with people you don't even know. Yeah. Uh, all right. What's the future hold? Future for me, um, I would like to get my own sober house that I'm working on. And uh, this is in the works. I, I have my financial backing. Um, it's just a matter of finding some place. And I, I want to stay in the area where I am, Uniondale area, um, Hempstead. You know, it's, it's perfect. Um, there's buses there, there's trains there, there's, you know, whatever people need. And it's, you know, it's expensive. It is expensive here in Long Island. And, you know, so that's a little bit, you know, what's holding me up right now. You know, if you don't have a full house, it's, you know, kind of difficult. Better make sure you have the backup. Probably you know? why the main reason why most sober houses are in not the nicest neighborhoods because yeah. of the rent. Yeah. Right? So your child, yeah. what's, what's that relationship like? Louie, um, his name is Louie. He's 32 uh, years old, he'll be 33. Um, what it is, it is what it is. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we speak every now and then, you know, um, I speak to his wife. I had to, the worst thing was, you know, when I had to tell him, you know, who I was, you know, that your mom was a drug addict and an alcoholic and, you know, I, I couldn't see, it was, it meant more to me, I guess, you know, at the time I was 24 when I had him and I was 26, 27 when I got divorced. But uh, yeah, I had to explain to him, you know, he had abandonment issues. You know, one day he's there, next day I'm not, and you know, I'm not. And I was a stay at home mom with him you know, I was a good mom with him. And nope, you're not going to make me cry. <laughs> not my goal. And we have, we'll get to that. Um, 
What's the relate? What is so you talk to him? Yeah, we speak um, a little bit, you know, every now and then. I'll call him for the holidays and stuff like that. He has three grandkids. I have the three grandkids yeah. that I haven't met yet, but it's a, it's a goal to meet them one day. But we are friends on Facebook. We communicate on Facebook, so it's like I'm active in their life. But they don't know who I am, and I don't know if I want them to know who I am. You know why? It's it's just too much. So there is a relationship. Yeah. He said to me, um, he said to me that uh, when I told him that he said to me that it's okay, mom, I, I already forgave you. So yeah, that was, that was huge for me, you know, because that's what kept me out there for, to, for a long time. I used to say to myself, what mother gives away their kid, you know? But I was drinking. I was signing my. I signed my divorce papers drunk. But isn't that like some of the most powerful stuff that you've experienced? That you're able to pass that along oh, to yeah. to all the the thousands of other women that you're. And I that hear you speak it. To. And I hear it now. You know, people with CPS involved, and um, you know, all you have to do is not drink you know, a drug to, you know, get your kids back, you know, but I also go this route too, you know, drugs and alcohol, as we know, you know, it's, it becomes our world, you know, and, um, and I always say that we drink and drug because of how we feel, you know, and I, and I talk now, I do a workshop at Seafield on Thursdays and I focus on feelings because that's the reason why we drink and drug is because of how we feel. You know, we all have stories. We do, you know, and they're all pretty much the same where it goes, but nobody talks about how do you feel when you started drinking? You know, what was going on when you, do you remember when you first took your first line of Coke or your first drink? What was going on in your life at that moment? You know, and I, I, I focus on that because feelings are, that's where it's at. That's why we do what we do. So your your family, mm -hmm. your current relationship, yeah, even going back, mother, father, ex, your son, they're looking at Debbie. What do they What do they see? Well, my mom, um, my mom's going to be eighty years old this year. Thank God, she's still alive. Um, she's been seeing me drinking drugs since I'm fourteen, and she says to me this day, she's like, "I thank you." You, give, you gave me a gift that I never thought that I would see. And I thank you so much for letting me see you sober. It's like she had another daughter. Yeah, that's what she says. You know, she's like, you're a completely different person. You're the, you're the woman that you were always meant to be. Yeah, so it's wonderful, the relationships now. So the family looking at you, they're, they're proud of Debbie? Yeah, very proud. I'm proud of Debbie. I'm proud of you too. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so thank you so much, Debbie, for thank coming you, on and sharing, being very open, letting it all out. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. And if anybody is looking for help or struggling with addiction, feel free to contact Debbie or SoberSundaysPodcast.com. Thank you. Uh -huh.